0: So we're in week three, week three. And uh, just to, to give you a, a really short recap, week one, what did we do? Week one, we, we saw that if we're going to be a community of counselors who help one another, we need to understand some basic truths about people and about how people function. First of all, we saw this thing, this truth. Everyone needs help. Everyone needs help. We saw that we're all created needing help from God and from others. So the fact that you are needy and that you need others to come and help you is not, because of your, not, not just because of sin. You needed help. Humanity needed help even before sin entered the picture. So, first of all, everyone needs help. God helps us through His Spirit who is the helper, isn't He? And His Spirit works primarily through His Word and through other people. The Spirit can work in many ways, but the ways He works primarily is through His Word and through other people. Sometimes I think we might feel like asking others for help is a sign of weakness. Um, In a sense, it is a sign of weakness. But we're all weak. So more than a sign of weakness, it's really an admission that we are human. (laughs) It's an admission of our humanity. So if we all need help, then that's going to shape the way that we help others. Because you and I don't walk into the lives of others as experts. None of us is an expert. We're not fixers, right? So helping others, counseling, is not the expert standing over the one in need. It's two people actually walking side by side. Two people in need walking side by side, seeking to help one another. So we saw that in week one. Week two, we looked at two Bible metaphors that Jesus gives us because they reveal to us some basic truths about how people work. And those two Bible metaphors were this. One was in Luke 6, 43 to 45, and there was this metaphor of root and fruit. Do you remember this if you were here? Root and fruit. We, we, we saw in that passage that a person's thoughts and a person's words and a person's actions are the overflow of their heart. They're not primarily caused by their circumstances or by the people around them. They're the overflow of the heart. So thoughts, words, and actions are fruit. And the heart is the root from which those fruits come. Right? And we looked at another Bible metaphor in week two. It was in Matthew 6:19 to 24. And it was this idea of the treasure in our hearts. Treasure and hearts. And what we saw is that everyone lives for some kind of treasure. Something that they value, something that they love, something that they feel they need. And and whatever a person treasures is going to control their heart. And whatever controls a person's heart will control their thoughts and their words and their actions. So, you might have been thinking after we went through all of that, I see, I mean, it makes sense to me that the heart is behind the person's words and actions. I I see that the heart is the the seat of of our motives and our desires. But how in the world am I going to help someone to to be, how am I going to begin to help others understand what's going on in their heart? I mean, I can't even understand what's going on in my own heart half the time. How am I going to help others figure out what they're treasuring, and why it's leading to these maybe sinful or destructive behaviors and words and thoughts. We're going to look at much more of that over the remainder of uh, the seminar. But for now, I I want us to just look at two vital, encouraging passages. They're, they're, They're listed on the first page of your handout. Two vital, encouraging passages for us. For anyone who wants to be a counselor or a disciple of others, all right? The first one is Hebrews 4 12 to 13. Can someone please read Hebrews 4 12 and 13? For many of us, this is a familiar passage. This passage is about the Bible. And it's about how God uses His Word in our lives. And this passage says that the Bible is like God's scalpel. God is a surgeon. The the Bible, His Word, is His tool for exposing and for healing. So Hebrews says that His Word reveals... And it judges our hearts and our thoughts and our motives. I wonder if you've experienced this happening as God's word's been read or spoken to you. Now, now here's, the, here's the encouragement in this passage, all right? Because I said it's an encouraging passage. Although you cannot see anyone's heart, you can't even see your own heart, but scripture exposes it. The Bible is heart-revealing, and for that reason, scripture needs to be our central tool in personal growth and in ministry to others. Because scripture alone can reveal and, and analyze where change needs to take place in our hearts. So the encouragement is you can't see the hearts of others much, let alone your own heart, but God can. And God has given you his word. And his word is able to work like a scalpel to reveal and to heal. So, trust God's word. Use God's word. It's so easy in any kind of situation where you've been asked to step into someone's life to provide help. Or you're trying to offer it to provide help. It's so easy to start immediately reaching back to your own experiences, your own wisdom, the things that you've learned over the course of your life through trial and error and mistakes and your own falls, those things are valuable. They're important. But the primary tool that God has given you is His Word. And the th- primary thing that God, the Spirit, works through is His Word. So use it. And we're going to see more on what that looks like practically in weeks ahead for sure. Um, but the other encouraging passage I wanted to share with you is Colossians 1.29. Um so if someone could read Colossians one, um maybe start in verse twenty eight and read verse twenty eight and twenty-nine. Whoever finds it can can go for it and read that.
1: Maybe when we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone and train of Christ. For this editorial, shut them with all his energy that we are for. You.
0: Thanks, man. So, so Paul here is talking about how hard he works to see other people experience transformation. He works hard to see change happen in the lives of others. He wants to see people mature and become more like Jesus Christ. So where there needs to be repentance, he works towards that. Where there needs to be encouragement and comfort, he works towards that. He labors. But he also says that he does so by God's energy that's powerfully at work in him. So in other words, Paul is saying, I'm an instrument. And counselors, disciples, this is for you. You're an instrument. If we're going to be a community of people who help others, we need to admit that we're needy and we are inadequate. But God is not. And so, not only has He given you His Word, which is effective, but He's given you His Spirit, who works in you, supplies you with energy, direction, and help. That should be encouraging to us. It also means that prayer is vital for us. Because if God is the one who brings help, and He does it through us, then more than anything, we need to pray to God that he would do the helping. We, we need to pray to the helper. We, we need to, in, in, our, in our efforts to, to come alongside others, we need to bring their concerns to God. We need to pray for them and we also need to pray with them together. In these counseling relationships, so often we find ourselves at a lack of words. We don't know what to say. We don't even know where in the Bible to go to. What does that mean? I think for one thing it means that we have to learn to embrace silence and just be quiet for a while and not just rush to say anything. But it also means that when we don't know what to say to this person in need of help, we can speak to God on behalf of this person in need of help. Together, pray together. We can admit openly I don't know what you're experiencing and I don't know how to help you right now, but I trust that God will help us to figure this out. Right now, let's go to Him. Let's pray. And in that act of humility, God comes and He blesses. And He reminds you, in praying together with this person that you're seeking to help, He's reminding you that you're not alone in this. That your hope is really in Him. As we do this, as we seek to come alongside others to help them, we should expect messiness. Because we are needy and we're sinners. And when sinners help other sinners, the results, on the one hand, the results are often beautiful. But the process, it's not always beautiful. (laughs) At least not at points. Ed Welch, who's an uh, author, counselor, teacher, he, um, he said this, which I found very helpful at a conference that I was at some years back. He was talking about this kind of side-by-side ministry brothers, sisters in a community come together and say, I'm going to be a, of help to you. I need you to be of help to me. Side-by-side ministry, he said, it often looks like a wrestling match. He says, we imagine that side by side ministry looks like two people strolling through a park peacefully, dispensing wisdom to one another and humbly receiving that wisdom and experiencing beautiful transformation as they walk through the field. Instead, it looks more like a wrestling match at times. One guy's dragging the other, one sister's fighting back against the other because she doesn't like the kind of help she's receiving. Sometimes one has to chase the other down and say, wait for me? Chase the other down and say, no, let, let's, let's keep pushing, let's keep going. It's messy, it can be ugly. I think we should be ready for that. Week three, that's today, is kind of a bridge day. We're, we're going to try to take some of this theology that we've been looking at in the past two weeks and bridge it with the practical that we'll be looking at for the next four weeks, okay? So we want to think more carefully today about how we can be used as instruments of help in the lives of others. And the way we want to do that is by thinking about how Christ, the Wonderful Counselor, how He works in us. How does the Wonderful Counselor work in you? As the more you understand that, the better we'll be able to understand how we can be used by the Wonderful Counselor to work in the lives of others. Okay? So before we jump into some of this, let me, let me um, raise this question that was on our um, question sheet from last week. Question four said, write a definition of what you believe it means to function as one of God's instruments in the life of another. So whether or not you wrote a, wrote a definition doesn't matter. But the question is, can, can, you, can you share with us, um, anyone, go for it, maybe a few of us can share what, what do you understand to mean? What do you believe it means to function as one of God's instruments in the life of another person? Any thoughts? And, you're defi- and, you're, and your answer doesn't need to be comprehensive. Just some element of what it looks like to be an instrument in the life of other. Yes. As simple as that, man. Yes, Jenny? I guess just walking alongside
1: them not only being to fix their problems, but to encourage everyone to learn in the gospel mm-hmm. and finding them like where they can that who they trust in
0: mm-hmm. right and that their culture is definitely each Yeah. And I appreciate what you say, Jenny, about just presence and walking alongside. That's very interesting. And I I think you're right. Oftentimes when we find ourselves in need and we cry out to God for help, does he immediately speak words of, like transformative words into our life immediately? Does he immediately bring the rescue that we're looking for or the, the change that we're looking for? Sometimes I don't think he does. I think sometimes what we get is his presence. He's with us. Sometimes he seems awfully quiet too. But he's still present. He's still there reminds me of Joseph when he was in Egypt for years. God was working on him. God was present, but, but it wasn't constantly talking to him. Instead, there was silence for a while, and I think that we can do that for one another. Yeah. Anyone else? Yes, Robert. Yeah, I,
1: think I think the ministry is to listen and pray for the person.
0: Listening and prayer. Listening and prayer. Yes.
1: We are called to with those moments of our lives. Yes. Yes. Enjoyment. Yes. And I think we can do that not by fewer mm-hmm. but share our own experience, our own Christian kind of experience. Yes. And try to show the person the ableness of God in
0: so weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice, participating in whatever it is that they're experiencing, and sharing with them, revealing to them mm-hmm. your own experiences and what God has done in your own life. Yeah, is that yeah. these are all such vital parts of being a helper in the lives of others. Anyone else? Anything else that comes to mind? Yes, Chin. So
1: correcting another with yeah. the, the scripture and
0: Yep, speaking truth and love to one another, even when that truth is um, corrective. Yeah, absolutely. Anyone else? One more? I thought you were going to say something. (laughs) All of these, all of these are important parts of the bigger picture. And I think they'll, we'll find that they all kind of fall in under some of the categories that we'll be talking about over the next several weeks. You um, can follow along on your, on your handout, but have you ever known a friend that needed change? They needed change in their life. And by the way, just to make this clear, when I say change, change is a big word. It, it, it's a big umbrella word. The kind of change that this person might need might be some kind of like repentance. They need to change some um, pattern of thought, words or behavior. Um, but the change they need may also be some form of healing. The change they need might be um, to be encouraged to to have confidence in the face of the anxiety and the fear that they're experiencing. So change is a big word. Change just doesn't mean this person's doing bad things and they need to stop and start doing good things. Change is a big word, okay? Where, where it, it, it's transformation. And God works to transform us in many different ways. So, have you ever known that a friend needed change, but you simply did not know how to help? Have you ever tried to help and you felt like things got worse? Have you ever felt like you wanted to help someone but you were in over your head and you thought, I'm not the right person for this. Why am I even in this situation? When our culture thinks about helping a person change, it usually thinks in formal, professional terms. So um, if you accept that model, and I'm not saying that model is completely invalid, but if you accept that as as the only model, that is the only source of help is professional formal help then you're probably going to conclude at least two things one, the Bible doesn't really say much about how to help people change experience transformation and you're probably going to believe that the average Christian has no business trying to help other people experience change The Bible doesn't really talk about it and Christians like us, we're not really equipped. We should just leave it to the professionals. Many Christians, I believe, have bought into this cultural model and and as a result, what we've done is we've become passive and uninvolved in the needs that surround us. It's not that we don't care. It's that we don't know what to do. And if we did know what to do, we don't think we should really do it because it's not really our place. But Scripture gives us a very different model. First of all, Scripture calls us each to function as Christ's ambassadors, ambassadors. And that's such an important role. Let, let's look just briefly at this passage in 2 Corinthians 5:14 to 21. Second Corinthians five fourteen to twenty one. I'll read it. Oops. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this that one has died for all therefore all died and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised for now on therefore we regard no one according to the flesh even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who, listen, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us, us, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. In the final verse, For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. I think sometimes we read that passage and we understand what it means to be an ambassador for Christ strictly in terms of evangelism. Like we are meant to preach this gospel of reconciliation to people who don't know Jesus. That's absolutely true. And that can happen in counseling relationships, helping relationships. But it's not strictly about evangelism. An ambassador is a representative. And that's exactly what we're all called to be in all of our relationships. You're not just an ambassador for Christ with your unbelieving neighbors, co-workers, etc. You're an ambassador for Christ with, for everyone in this room and for every relationship, in every relationship you have. We are placed in those relationships not only so that our own lives would be happy and satisfying, but more importantly, so that we would represent the Lord as He's working to bring change in the lives of others. Throughout this passage, the Apostle Paul is talking about all the things that, Christ, that God has done in Christ. And, 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 then, and then he says, we as Christians been, have been given this ministry of reconciliation. In other words, Jesus Christ took his ministry and handed it to us. And says, go. This is your ministry now. It's still Christ's ministry. He's still doing it, but he's doing it through us, his representatives. The work of an ambassador, um, it includes, and this should be on your handout, it includes three important points of focus. If we're going to be ambassadors, we need to keep these three things in mind in our relationships. One, the message of the king we need to represent the message of the one whom we serve as an ambassador. In other words, an ambassador is always asking, what does my king, what does my lord want me to communicate to this person in this situation? It's got to be his message, not ours, right? But then also, secondly, we have to keep in mind the, the methods of the king. And, and this is the, the how of the ambas- ambassadorial calling. How am I going to be an ambassador? How does I need to ask, how does the Lord work change in the lives of others? What are His methods? I want to work according to those methods. I want to work as He worked. So, so I ask myself the question, how did Jesus, my Lord, communicate with others? This must be a model for the way that I communicate with others. I can't take His message but jettison his method, I need both his message and his method. And thirdly, we need to represent the character of the king. And here we're focusing on why the Lord does what he does. We need to be motivated by the same things that motivated Jesus. We want to faithfully represent his heart, his attitudes, We don't just want to act like Jesus, we we want to think like Jesus as we're engaging in this representative ambassadorial work in the lives of others. This This is huge for us, because if we are ambassadors of Christ, this gives us a huge sense of mission. Your relationships are not just about you enjoying them, they're not just about you um, drawing pleasure from them, although they are about that, but not primarily. These relationships that God's given you are places where He has sent you to be His representative. That means in the lives of the people that maybe you just met and you're starting to get to know, and in the lives of those people you've known so long, you feel like you're like inside each other's heads. Those close family members and closest friends. And, and, and this is encouraging too. This is reciprocal within the church. I'm an ambassador of Christ in your life. You are an ambassador of Christ in my life. And so there's a giving and receiving. We're representing Christ back and forth to each other. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. A beautiful picture of what life within the community of faith is meant to look like. The, the, thankfully, the scripture... Um, displays the work of Jesus for us. So that we can look at the scriptures and we can see Jesus' message and his method and his character. It comes through as we go through John and each of the Gospels. It's, just, it's all over the place. So as we read the Bible, for instance, we hear the message of Jesus over and over again. I listed some passages there that you can look at on your own and see how the message of Christ comes out clearly. And then as we, as we read through the Bible, we're, we're confronted with his methods again and again, too. And we'll look at some of those methods more carefully. His methods of asking questions. His methods of patiently listening. His method of seeing the, the, the answer behind the answer. Digging deeper to see what's underneath the superficial responses that people would sometimes give him. These methods, they, they come out clearly in the Scriptures. And the pages, obviously, the pages of Scripture show us the beautiful character of Jesus. And each of these things, they define how we can be useful instruments in the hands of Christ. So we accept our calling as ambassadors when we faithfully seek to represent His message and His methods and His character with whomever He places us. So we don't choose who we're going to be an ambassador for Christ with. If there's any relationship, we must engage that relationship as an ambassador for Christ. It's going to look different in each relationship, but we can't say, yeah, I'm representing Christ with, with my brother here, but in that context, that no, I'm not really a representative of Christ. That's not what he's called me to do in that. No, he's called you to represent him in every relationship, in different ways, of course. So in a lot of ways, I want to kind of simplify it this way learning to counsel others in some simple sense is learning to represent Christ accurately. An accurate ambassador. And and as we do that, we're encountering people in whose lives Christ is already at work. He's already at work in these people's lives We are partnering with him in what he's already doing and we're seeking to do it in such a way that reflects, again, his message, his method, and his character. Any thoughts on any of that? Any kind of questions or clarifications or pushback on any of that?
1: I think the, the, the last thing you said really ties in what you were saying earlier about sometimes we feel like, we're not up to it. We have to leave it up to the professionals.
0: So it's very yeah. encouraging, and it's important to keep in mind that we're partnering with Christ. this piece of work, and we're you know, we're just as That's right. Yeah. It's and of course, that, that it does. Yeah. yeah. And I was I was going to say sorry. I don't I don't mean to downplay the importance of professionals, <laughs> counselors, therapists, etc. I Christ works through those instruments as well, um, no doubt. I'm just saying there's a vital place for us in this, and and it's and to to reject that and step back and say I'm not really called to be an instrument of help and change in others' lives, is really to take the Second Corinthians five passage and say, Jesus, that ministry, you keep it. <laughs> or give it to them, I'm, I don't want it. I, I'm not up to it. And the fact is he gives it to each of his people. All right. Um, take a look at, well, let's take a look at this. This figure up here. Um, this illustration is meant to capture what it means to function as one of Christ's ambassadors for change in someone's life. Um, so let, let's just walk through It's a simple illustration, right? But let's just walk through it. First, you're going to notice that on the left side of the page, there are these words, negative fruit. Negative fruit. This, uh, this picture is the, the problems that, that get us involved in personal ministry. The problems that are presenting themselves in someone's life. Maybe God opens your eyes to a, to a harvest of bad fruit in a person's life. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's, it's anger or fear or discouragement, anxiety. You, you see that fruit coming out of this person's life. It may be acts of anger or vengeance or gossip. Things like that. It could be sinful like that. Now, God allows you to, to see someone thinking or, or behaving, responding in, in, in bad ways. Or maybe it's not so much a sin. Maybe the bad fruit, what you're seeing, is someone struggling deeply. Hurting deeply. God reveals that to you. This person comes and asks you for help. However it happens, you're exposed to this harvest of bad fruit in someone's life. And on the right side here, it says positive fruit. This is our goal. This is where we want to get. Right, so that whatever that that negative fruit is, the anger would turn to joy, anxiety would turn to, and fear would turn to confidence and peace. That bitterness would turn to love, and so on. We want to see good words, thoughts, and actions coming out from this person's life. And our purpose is to be used by God to produce that harvest of good fruit. Even if the person's circumstances don't change at all, the fruit can still change. Now this, up top, this is a a bandage or band-aid. And this summarizes the goal that many of us might have when we seek help. We're looking for someone to fix the problem quickly. Or maybe when we're offering help, we want to fix the problem quickly. We, we want to place a Band-Aid on it. And, and so as a result of, of, of doing that, there, there are things that, that change, but the changes are temporary and they're superficial. That's what it says here, temporary superficial change. By just addressing the behaviors... The words, the thoughts, without without going deeper, what we end up doing is just offering some help that's superficial. It doesn't last very long. This is kind of what we were talking about last week, as as that fruit stapling, right? It's it, it's, it rather than trying to cultivate healthy fruit, we try to artificially staple or tie on some healthy fruit onto this person's life by going straight at changing the behavior. Changing the words. And ignoring what really needs to be addressed down here, which is the heart. Sometimes people will want a change in their circumstances. Or or a change in another person. Like, I'll be okay. All this bad fruit in my life will go away if that person just changed. Or they want change in their emotions. These are all good things. But they think that if things changed then they would be much better. But the result, as this illustration shows, is usually temporary and surface level. It's true that sometimes circumstances do need to change, as we said last time, but we can't stop there. Our goal is to help people at a deeper level. We want people to experience a deeper sense of change. And this is why the heart down here, with these arrows pointing to it, that's why this is at the bottom, middle of the diagram. We believe that lasting change, and the Bible teaches us that lasting change comes through the heart, through that pathway. So the heart needs to be the target and, our, and heart change needs to be the goal. Any thoughts on this or any, any questions about the, how this kind of set up?
1: Yes. How do we know if, like, the person that we're walking alongside is not just doing a series of temporary superficial changes? How do we know if we have really impacted the heart? Yeah. When, I mean, there is cases where we just fall back into sin, or we, you know, yeah. some behaviors are harder to kill than others. How do we know if we're really addressing heart change as opposed to maybe a very, very good behavior modification that maybe even takes root in that person's life? If they change their behavior... Because people can gain like sobriety without, sure, you know, without price or cost.
0: gospel. Sure. So how do we know if effective? Yeah. Part? And that's not the, that's that, that's a huge deal, right? If you can if you can achieve just that basic behavioral change of going from um, chemical dependency to sobriety, that's huge. That's awesome. We don't want to we don't want to despise that at all. All we're saying is that what God desires for us is deeper change, even. So, any thoughts on this question that Dan's asking? How can we know if the change is at the heart level or if it's superficial? Any thoughts? So open communication, transparency, I think honesty is really integral there. Yeah. And and, and by the way, what you're asking then about about knowing whether there's hard change, that's a that's a question that only applies to others but it applies to ourselves. How do we know if we've experienced heart change? Or if all we're experiencing is better behavior for a stretch. Right? I think what, what what you mentioned, Jenny, is really important. I think I think another aspect of this is time. Time will tell. There's a, there's, there's a temporary nature to superficial change. Um, and so I think we need to allow time for things to play out. And as they develop, it'll become clear to both the person experiencing the change and to those of us who are trying to help that person know really what's going, what the nature of the change. Is it this, or is it this? Is it positive? Or is it superficial? Yes.
1: We we have to be faithful in our helping others, but the result is
0: like yeah yeah. So maybe to some degree we have to say we may not know. Um, Period.
1: Yeah. That's right. That's
0: right. Yeah. Yeah. which is which, which, there's a tension there right? that's difficult to kind of be in that place we are an ambassador of Christ but we are not Christ <laughs> we don't get to know all the time and we may in fact be mistaken how often have you been mistaken with regard to your own heart with others I think that's one of the reasons we said that this kind of side by side ministry is messy this is part of where the messiness comes from. I
1: think it like, makes me think also that like, as you're walking with someone, there is no like finish line. Like, That's right. There is no sense that like, you completed that work because in some sense like we know that it is God who judges the heart and maybe we don't have you know, all the information that God has. <laughs> That's right. but I, I think of the verses like you will know them by their fruit, so yet I will also be I don't see an outward change
0: at the bottom of the we have listed here four elements love, know, speak, and do this is our model for functioning as ambassadors as instruments for help in the lives of others And and what this model does is it takes seriously our need for heart change and our need to follow Jesus' example. So so, um, as you look at this love, know, speak, and do, I mentioned this at week one, we're going to look at each one of these individually over the next four weeks. But again, I want to remind you, as you look at love, know, speak, and do, don't think of these as a four-step process. The four circles here, they actually represent different aspects of what it means to be an instrument for help, not different phases or different steps. Okay? Ideally, we'll be doing all four of these simultaneously in our relationships. All right? So let's just look at each one of these separately quickly now, and like I said, we'll look at them in depth in the months ahead, I mean weeks ahead. So love, this love function, it points out the importance of relationship in the process of change. If we're going to be instruments of change in people's life, there must be a relationship, an increasingly deep relationship. You could argue biblically that, that change in the Bible always takes place in the context of relationship. We saw it even in, in John chapter 4 today. Jesus comes to this woman, she's experiencing change as we read through verse by verse. It's almost like we can track and see the change happening in our heart. It started with relationship. Jesus isn't just speaking to her, he's befriending her. He's drawing close to her. God comes to us as people and he makes a covenant with us. He commits himself to be our God and and he takes us as his people. He draws close and in the context of that new relationship, that's where he starts doing this work of change. It's not drive-by. He engages. For it's near. As we understand the work of God in our lives, we realize that our relationship to Him is vital. It's a necessity. We, we can't experience change from God if we are not in relationship with God. It doesn't work. In the same way, we're called to build strong, godly relationships with one another. God's purpose for these relationships is, is that these relationships would then become the workrooms where He. Does his work. So it's important that we learn how to build these kinds of relationships in which the work of change can happen. So um, next week we'll start talking about what it looks like to build these love relationships, and I'm guessing that some of you are particularly gifted in this area. And I'm hoping that you can you can share with us as a, as a group, and we can learn from each other more of what it looks like. It's a love. all close. No. K-N-O-W, the know component, has to do with really getting acquainted with people. Not just loving them relationally, but getting to really understand them. Many of the people we think we know, we really don't know. Right? We, we know facts about them. Um, we don't really know them. We know what they like and don't like, what they're into, their family members' names. I mean, that's pretty basic, right? So hopefully no more than that but we really don't often know what's going on under the skin. Our, our, our relations sometimes are trapped in the casual. Guys, I think we are particularly prone to this. I'm not, I'm not trying to stereotype, but I think we might be. To so this casual, superficial relationship, it, it's comfortable, but because of this casual nature of these friendships, our opportunities to minister to one another are limited. They they get hindered. Knowing a person really means knowing their heart. And and when I say I am getting to, and I know we cannot ultimately see each other. We can't know each other perfectly. Only God can do that. Yet, as ambassadors of Christ, our desire is to get to know each other better and more deeply and more intimately So, so that we can understand not just things about the person, but the person their hopes and dreams, their beliefs, their goals, their values, their desires, their struggles. Friendship is really that kind of connection that comes. Um, Christ committed himself to this. I mean, Christ entered these relationships already knowing right? And yet, even though John says, no one had to bear witness to him about man because he knew what was in man. He
1: knew And still, what does he do? He
0: asks questions. He's probing questions. Why? Because it's part of building a relationship, but from Jesus' perspective, it was also a part of helping that person know themselves. These questions weren't revealing for him, but they were revealing for the person that he was asking them to. Right? So for us. It's the same thing. We use questions to try and help the individual understand themselves, but because we're not omniscient, we need to use those questions to figure out who this person is also. Can someone read just briefly Hebrews 4, 14 to 16? Hebrews 4, 14 to 16.
1: Since then, we have very but one who every This passage speaks
0: about the ways that Jesus knows us. He doesn't just know facts about us. He has actually walked in our shoes. He has experienced our experiences so that to know us actually means he sympathizes with us. And this is, I think, what we want to strive for in our relationships. Okay? Go beyond that surface casual level. It's sometimes so hard to get past. But once we get past it, oh man, the relationship is so much better than that. And that the opportunities to help and be helped, is so so much more right? Thirdly, speak, speak, speak involves bringing God's truth to bear on the person in this situation. To do this, we need to ask, what does God want this person to see that he or she is not seeing? What does God want this person to hear from me? How can I help this person see what they're blind to? Maybe maybe what I need to do is is speak God's promises to them. Maybe I need to speak God's warnings to them. What have they they forgotten that God desires for me to speak and remind them of? The Gospels are full of brilliant examples of the way Christ helps people to see the truth. He, He uses stories, he uses questions, He breaks through their spiritual blindness and he helps them to to see the reality of who they are and the glory of what he can do for them. To be an ambassador of Christ means to engage in that. That's awesome. We're not just trying to fix people. We can't do that. But if the Spirit would use us to help someone see something that they've forgotten about their Savior, something that they've become blind to or hardened to, the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done for them, yeah, what's better than that? Speaking the truth in love does not mean making grand pronouncements. We saw this last week. These, these authoritative diagnoses. That's not what God's calling us to do. Rather, it means helping a person to see life clearly. Helping them to see the Lord Clearly. For lasting change to take place, a person must see himself accurately in the the mirror of God's Word. And it's vital that you also see God and the resources that God has for him. Without love, our speaking is going to be useless. Right? If If we drop out the love, our speech becomes, what does Paul say? In first Corinthians thirteen it's just noisy it symbols. It's just noise. But with love, that speech becomes it becomes helpful. Without knowledge, our speech becomes just ignorant. It might be true, but it's not appropriate, and ends up becoming less helpful. But when that speaking is coupled with the love and the knowledge, it becomes healing, transformative. Lastly, do. do. Finally, we must help the person to do something with what he or she has learned. We, we have to help one another apply the insights that God has given her to her own life and to her relationships. Right? Because Here's the thing. Insight itself, just truth in and of itself, is not change. Because a person comes to a place and says, If you can remind someone of some truth that they have lost sight of, and they see that, and they say, aha, yes, right. That feels like change. But it's not really. I mean, it is to a degree, but it's not the deep heart change that we're talking about. In order for the deep heart change to happen, The insight that God gives us about who we are and who he is and what he's provided for us must be applied to practical, specific realities in everyday life. This is where I think, um, I'll just confess personally, this is where I go wrong so often. I think that if I can help someone, whether it's my own child or myself, frankly, or a friend, to, to come to see something true about God that they were missing, something true about the gospel, then I feel like, uh, we've arrived. That's it. But you and I know that it's very easy for us to accept, acknowledge, and see truth, and yet for it not to change what's going on in our hearts. And not to actually play out in a change in our words, actions, and thoughts. So we need to help one another to apply those truths. For my money, that's the hardest part. Maybe for some of you, there are other the other parts is the Yeah, good
1: the first three the counselor can do without yeah. their cooperation together uh, yeah. you can love you can speak you can you know right but if a uh, person is supposed to go do something yes how do you make that person do that if a person is supposed to go you know ask forgiveness to right. his wife <laughs> we can can we we can
0: Christ can we
1: can we can he can have
0: so there, again and again, that, that, that's messy and I mean, that's that's hard. But we can um, we can seek to help them do it, right? Through encouragement, through reminders, through patience, through accountability, and through many other ways that we look at. It, but we can't make it happen. The fact is, even knowing one another, we can't. We can we can do our part, but we can't really know someone unless they reveal themselves to us, right? I mean, we can make observations, Yeah. But, but to really know the way that we want to, that requires some cooperation. Um, but especially this new piece, no doubt.
1: I think about the original ruler, he comes to Jesus. I think he does all three elements. Yeah. And he tells the thing he has to do, go so over here and follow me. And the guy walks away. Yeah. But it says that Jesus said those things out of compassion for yeah. him because he had a great love for him. So, in one sense, like the man walked away. and he uh, chasing down
0: I wonder if like the Christian ruler
1: went on like I mean, his life later. Like,
0: I wonder if he did, you know, see the work of Jesus and like, I, I wonder that too man. I really wanted that too. I think it's a, it's a I think it's one of the saddest stories no, in wonder the same to do the same thing. The, um, <laughs> It makes me think too, too Che, about depending on the relationship, we have different levels of influence in people's lives, right? Depending on our relationship, so it's gonna look different if it's a spouse. It's gonna look very different if it's a child, right? I think we still, especially with small children, we have the, the 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 resources available to us to to really. Um, get them to do certain things, right? Um, As they get older, that, of course, changes as well. So it varies from the relationship. I think this, maybe the, the, because we're so limited in our power to do this, um, make us a little more reliant on on prayer. Ask the Lord to do it, because we can. What's the old cliche, can bring I'm a horse home. to water. What is it? You can lead a horse to water. Yeah. I have been a horse that has been led to water many times and have stubbornly refused to drink. But God can change it. God can change it. Um, something, one last thing needs to be said about this love, no, speak, do model. Um it's only an aspect of the ministry of the local church. It's not only an aspect of the ministry of the local church, but, it, but it's a lifestyle that God calls each of us to. So in a sense, and maybe you're already doing this in some ways. I think that if you examine your relationships, you'll find that you're already doing some of this in some ways. But you're also going to find that you need to do more of this. In our relationships, we're meant to be loving and loving. Not just that, those relationships that we've labeled as, like, this is my discipleship. Or this is my counseling ministry that God's given me right here, this person. All of our relationships. Loving, knowing, speaking, and doing. How much healthier would our relationships be if we were doing each of these at all, all the time? Right? Um, the big question to end with is simply this. Right now, where has God positioned you to be an instrument of help in someone's life? Where has God positioned you?
1: Right.
0: So there's some takeaways at the very end of this sheet, um, on the, or on the, the second page. Um, an objective takeaway is this. Effective personal ministry seeks to be a part of what the Lord is already doing in the lives of others by modeling the way that he has worked in us. Kind of read that at some time to try to unpack that for yourself. Um, a personal takeaway. I need to examine the way that I seek to help and stimulate change in those around me. Is what I do consistent with the example of the wonderful counselor? Am I representing his message, method, and character? Am I engaging in love, no speak, and do like Jesus did? I think that's an important question for us to ask ourselves. And then lastly, relationally, a relational takeaway. I need to think more redemptively about my relationships. I need to look for the opportunities that God has given me to be a part of his work of change. I want to invite you to look at these questions, give them some thought if you have time over this week. And Next week what I'd like us to do is, is revisit these questions and see if you want to share a little bit about them in some groups. And the first question, consider this love no speak you model. Which element, if any, is most wanting to you? Which one seems hardest to you? Why do you think that is? Where do you think your strengths and weaknesses lie? Which one of these do you think you're strongest at? Part of the reason I'm asking that, you to, to think about that is because those areas where you feel weak are the areas where you need to, obviously, lean into the Lord for help. But also, we want to be a community of counselors, not just individual helpers and counselors. And so the fact is that even as we grow in each of these areas, we will have brothers and sisters who are particularly strong in these areas. God has called us to be a help to others together, right? To partner with others. It's not just you coming to the rescue in someone's life. It's you with a few other people serving in the areas that you're strong and, 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 and leveraging those particular gifts that you have together in the lives of others. So maybe you struggle to get to know, but you know other people. They're so good at that. You can partner with them
1: to serve them. Right?
0: Um, second question, reflect using the model of this lesson on two or three. This is important, right? So think about two or three relationships in your life where, and think about where are these relationships weak and where are they strong. Have you been functioning as an ambassador? Pray that God would use the truth in this lesson to shape the way you serve in these relationships. So I'm asking you to think about two or three relationships, think about where are these relationships weak and how can I better serve. And then lastly, this is the most important one, Because I don't want us to go through the seven weeks um, together and just kind of um, gather some insights that are helpful or or not. I hope they're helpful. And then just kind of walk away. I want us to to do the do, right? We want to do this do part. So thirdly, identify a relationship in your life where you would like to start intentionally applying what you are learning about love, know, speak, and do. Now, now, I'm not saying take a person in your life and make them a personal project. I'm not saying that. We easily can do that, right? <laughs> but I'm saying find a relationship in your life and say, I'm going to intentionally focus on it. It's, it's easier to start in one place, right, than to start everywhere. Start in this one relationship and say, I'm intentionally going to seek to be an instrument of, of, of help in God's hands within this person's life by consciously engaging this love, most so you can do. More. Life. And and over the next several weeks kind of track that track how that relationship is developing maybe share in, in our smaller groups when we get when we, when we break up about how that's going you know with discretion of course so, any final thoughts before we okay, in the- yes sir this is a question
1: that came out of the scope today but during the next couple sessions is there going to be discussions about like I, I wanna I wanna say this is like we, we definitely do not do as smart change one most we can do as much as we should right. I think like nine times out of ten we're not doing everything we can. Right. But in the model of like the cycle of people, is there is there like this situation where like someone is very